Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. How's everybody doing this morning? You know, I always feel like when we get to this point, it's already, already so good. You know, I, I don't know, you know, I, I sometimes will poll the, the, the congregation and say, hey, who loves worship or who loves preaching? And I tell you what, if you will get a deeper understanding of what worship is for and who it's for, it'll change everything. You know, and, and I'm a worship guy by, by design, so it's kind of like, hey, I, I know I got to preach and we got a plan to preach, but there, there are moments that are just so sweet where we really, truly are experiencing the presence of God. And, and do you realize in that moment, he can change everything? One touch and you'll be forever changed. So when his presence are here, Let's not get in a hurry. Let's not get distracted. Let's not, my kids, they're gone now, but I can say they're, they're always in a habit of, Dad, is this a last song? They're kind of nudging. They're ready to go to class. And, but I think we get like that sometimes. Man, is this the last song? And we're just, we're just getting drugged through it rather than experiencing it. But we'll, if you will get engaged in the worship experience and you will be a part of experiencing the presence of God, you won't want to leave. You won't want to move. You, you want to stay right there. And, and I think that there's, there's two facets. I think there is that moment of where we are really just declaring the praises of God. We're focusing all of our attention on him. And do you, you guys realize worship is for him? It's not for us. How, how do we know that we have that right perspective? Well, regardless of the song sang, does it matter? Because we do that. Oh, I love that song. Oh, I don't like that song. That song, I, I, I. we're focused on the song and we're not focusing on God. You know, I'm convinced I could worship God to Mary had a little lamb if my focus is correct, right? Because when I say I don't like that song, guess who it just focused back on? I don't like it rather than does he like it? Does it please him? Does it honor him? So I just want to encourage you to, uh, when we're in those worship moments, just if, if, you have, if you're having a difficult time or you don't understand, ask God to just give you revelation of what it's supposed to be like and and I'm going to pray that mantle of just that it would be released to you as far as just loving it. You know, our home is always filled with worship music. It's always filled with, with, with God's goodness as we make room for that. So this morning, we are jumping into chapter three of Philippians. Hopefully, you got a chance to, to read chapter one and to read chapter two. We're on, we're on chapter three. We got two more books or two more chapters to go, and we will be through a whole book of the Bible. I hope that's not the first time that you're going to accomplish that. But if it is, hey, we got to all start somewhere, right? So I'm hoping that this morning that we would just be encouraged, that our minds would be open to the Word of God. And I've been getting some feedback of, of people reading through it. And they said, man, there's just so much stuff I've been getting out of it. And some stuff you preach, some stuff you didn't preach. And, and that, that's how the Word of God works. It says that it's alive and active, and it, and it corrects, and it rebukes, and it trains. And it, it is alive and active. So when we read it, we should be expecting it to do something and change the condition of our heart to change the condition of our mind. You know, uh, I tell you what, reading engages the mind. Some of us love it, some of us hate it, right? Um, but when we read it, it causes us to focus on the things that God wants us to focus on. We're meditating, we're reading, we're focusing our thoughts on that. And when we do that, it changes us, okay? So this morning, we're gonna jump right in, but I wanna look at, so James 1, 2, and 4. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So verse four says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's my heart, that's my heart for you, that we continue to persevere, that we continue to put in the work, that we continue to do all that we need to do on our end to become all that God wants us to be and wants us to do. But realize those words, mature and complete. That's the goal. We don't wanna say, well, I'll be good when I get to heaven. No, God wants you maturing here on earth so you can be very effective with your time given here on earth. You know, you can't have a, I couldn't have an infant teaching or preaching this morning. Somebody has to mature. 
Somebody has to, has to be complete in that process. Not that we arrive, but that we grow in a progression of becoming more and more Christ-like. So how many of you uh, counted it all joy this last week? Like, like Paul, he said, count it all joy when you fi- face many tribulations. Have, did you hold, wor- hold firm to the word? Remember I said holding to that word is like holding on for dear life. Any of you get a chance to do that this week, to, to count it all joy rather than losing your stuff? I'm saying that in a good way. How many of you lost your stuff and need more Jesus? Oh, right, you know, we, we, don't, we don't always respond well, but it says count it all joy on the good days, on the bad days, on the certain days, on the uncertain days, that regardless of what we go through, that we are to count it all joy. So I want to encourage you this morning before we jump into the word to not just hear the word, but do the word. Not just hear the word and say, man, that was a great, you know, that little golf clap, all oh, that's, and that's the extent, and then you just... You saw it and then you left, but you are to take it with you. You are to apply it. You're to do what it says, right? So we want to not only be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word uh, this morning. So let me pray over you before we jump in, and I'm going to ask that this word would just penetrate your heart, that you would hear what you need to hear, that you would block out what you don't need to hear, and that we would just be changed by the word of God. Amen? Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is effective in doing a complete work in our hearts. But Father, if our hearts are hard or our minds are not understanding or don't have the understanding, it's gonna be difficult for us. So Lord, this morning we pray for an open mind. We pray for receptive hearts. And Father, we pray for the understanding and revelation of your word to come. Lord, I pray against any distraction. Lord, I pray against uh, the plans of the enemy to, to just cloud and confuse. And Father, I pray that today that your word would be spoken clearly, that it would be applied. And Father, that it would be forever life-changing as really we just do what you've asked us to already do. Help us to grow closer to you. Help us to understand your word. And Father, once we gain that understanding, let us take that word and share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so we're gonna jump right into this. So this chapter three continues continues in further instruction. Um, We realize that, one thing we have to realize, that even on your best day of being the most righteous as you can be, do you you realize you still fall short of Jesus's righteousness? And even if he had a bad day, which we know that he does not have bad days. He is perfect in every way. That is still better than your righteousness. So many people have a feeling of not being good enough. You ever been there? And you gotta realize, we live in a society that is A, B, C, you ever got a C, you ever got a D, and oh, it's like, it's, it's on this score system, or you, you, if you're not first, what? You're last, right? You know, that this competitive spirit, so when we miss the mark, we get discouraged. When we don't hit the mark that we think we should hit, we get depressed. But we have to realize that it's, it doesn't have anything to do with being good enough uh, because what we need to do today is just come as you are. That's what it's all about, saying, hey, you know, my wife has an awesome philosophy. She says, well, if I miss it today, I'll try again tomorrow. Thankful for tomorrow, right? You know, well, maybe today we hadn't been awake long enough to mess it up. Praise God for that. Today may be the day that we change everything. Do you realize yesterday you can't, you can't really do anything? Now, you might be living in the ripples of choices made because sometimes there are consequences, but sometimes God just gives us special grace where he gives us new grace every single morning and you have a chance to seize the day. That means make the most of it, right? So we come before Jesus and Paul was communicating to the church in Philippi. You know, so there was this conflict between the Jewish law and the new Christian standard, right? They were separating the law with all these Jewish practices with just really what the Gentiles were. They were like, you can't be a Christian and be a Gentile. So there was this conflict between the two and they thought only Jews could be Christians. And, you know, so there's this dialogue, there's this conflict. But we have to realize that what he was communicating to to the church here was that um, there is only one way to achieve salvation and it's not by works. Okay, so let's jump jump right into this passage in Philippians 3. I'm gonna cover one through 11 and then we'll break it down. So this is, if you wanna say what is the synopsis of this passage, it is righteousness through faith in Christ, period. Okay, you put that big old period because that's really what he's saying. So let's jump into that verse one. It, It says, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Verse two, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I, my, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowledge uh, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by no means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. A lot in there. So he starts off by saying finally, and this is my, my, one of my fun, kind of one of the funniest parts because he says finally, but he doesn't mean finally. Now, when we look at the, what he was implying here, he was saying for the rest of you because we know that there's a whole nother chapter. So when Pastor Noe says, this is my last point, I may not be done, right? You know, it's, it's just one of those sometimes we think that it's the end, but he's, what he's saying is for the rest of you. He's, he's transitioning the point, but the word used here was finally. Now, in our brain, we're like, finally, He's done, no, but he has a whole nother chapter and he actually finishes and concludes it in, in uh, chapter four, verse 18 is when he actually concludes and that's his final, final, okay? So we just need to look at that. So he says, for the rest of y'all, rest of y'all. So he doesn't see a problem or an inconvenience to recommunicate to the church. You remember he says it, he says, it is no harm to me. But what does he say? It is actually safe for you that he does so. So I paused there and said, what do you mean safe? Like, you know, so I, if I say something five times, Lord, it's safer? And then the Lord said, it is if they get the point. There are often times that we need to hear things more than once for them to stick. Amen. Have you ever, I know I had this problem when I was a young boy and mom would tell me something and I'd say, yep, no computing up here, right? I heard it, I even acknowledged that I heard it, I didn't process it, it didn't stick. And then she'd come back later, hey, how come you didn't do this? I was like, what are you talking about? You ever done that, right? It, it just doesn't penetrate, it doesn't get in, it doesn't stick. So hearing things multiple times, hearing things a, a, a handful of times really, really helps. So we, it's a good thing to hear things over and over and over again. Now I hope that I don't need to preach the same message five times for you to get it. Take notes, jot it down, meditate on it. I hope that the only time, that, that, I hope that it's not the only time you're thinking about the scripture or what we're communicating on Sunday. And then Monday you hit reset. I forgot everything Pastor Noe said and I'm gonna show back up on Sunday. But if the Monday through Saturday will be the follow through of the, of the message, the meditating on it, the thinking on it, go back and you're reading the chapter and you're like, wow, man, I didn't get that you know, in the sermon or hey, wow, that, that really bears witness to my spirit and you are growing throughout the week, guess what? That is helping it stick. Now, we also know that he wanted to communicate it multiple times. Now, studies show that an average of seven times is what it takes to remember something for the long haul, but it varies by complexity of the content. Now, let me tell you what. If you apply yourself, it is amazing what you can memorize. Watching all three of my children learn all 66 books of the Bible and then when dad's trying to compete with them and I fumble it as the pastor of the church, they're like, hey dad, I was like, y'all just shut up. Like, get them all mixed up and they, and they just smirk when I get it wrong and they got it right. And, but let me tell you what, if they can do it, we can do it. Right, We can do it, we have to apply it. Now some of you say, well man, my brain don't work. Now it's, it's funny because for me, I have to look at it, I have to read it, I have to write it, I have to set it, let it incubate, and then I come back and man, it's just not one and done and I got it memorized. I know what it takes. It takes Pastor Noe probably the full seven times to get it. But if you apply yourself, if you meditate on what the word says, if you hear the repetition of it, I think God's heart and really Paul's heart in this is that it would stick. He says, so it's never inconvenient when you say, hey, can you repeat that, Pastor? Absolutely. Hey, can you repeat that, Pastor? Absolutely. We get to time number seven. You need to pray that your ears would be opened. 
right? Because we've just communicated seven times. So we really want to not, like I said, not just hear the word. But let me tell you what, when you hear a word and you do a word, guess what? Now it sticks. The problem is we hear it, leave it right there and don't do anything with it. How many of you have a bad habit of, of pouring coffee in a mug, setting it on the table and it gets cold? I mean, you can drink it, but how many of you know it's better to drink it right then? You might remember to apply this word later on in the week, but why not make the choice right now today to apply everything that God shows you today? So I'm going to do this, this, and this. I don't know if it's three steps. I don't know if it's three goals, whatever it is. But when we apply scripture, it sticks. When we just hear it as a suggestion and don't do anything with it, that's when we don't remember it. All right? I'm going to keep going. So, so he says, finally, my brothers, he's talking to the rest of you. So what does he do right out of the gate? He says, look out. And he gets three categories. He talks about the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators. Now, realize that here he's talking about this is three things to watch out for. So if he gives you three things to watch out for, how many of you say, hey, you better watch out? Like if I'm yelling at you, say, get down, get down, get down. Oh, rather than just get down. You're getting the point, right? He's saying there are three. This is of, of urgency. This is something to pay attention to. So let's break these down and see who, who, who is he, was he implying this conversation or who was he giving this title to? What was he talking about? What was the heartbeat behind it? So the, the dogs, these were actually the names given to the Gentiles, but what he does here is he actually talks about the Jews. He, he uses the name that they were called to kind of hit the tennis ball back and say, but they are now doing the same thing. They're using the name, that name to really describe the Judaizers. So this is the group of false teachers who try to mix the law and the grace to achieve salvation. Now, this is a big thing because I, I could say, you know what? If you don't tithe, you ain't going to heaven because we know that the law says to tithe, to bring it to the storehouse, but I, it, this is what I'm talking about. I could say, you, none of y'all going to heaven unless you tithe. And that's when everybody gets up and leaves the church, right? But that's, that's kind of what was happening, not in regards to that specifically, but there were things you had to do to receive salvation. And just as, like you said, that's blasphemy. That's not right. That's not what God intended. Exactly. That's what Paul was saying. He said, watch out for these false doctrines of where they are trying to teach salvation through works. Now, should you do a lot of these good things once you receive salvation? Absolutely. But it is not climbing the rope of works to get to salvation. Salvation is something that flows out of the person once they've been transformed. So he says, you know, they're, te they're teaching these things. What about the evildoers? So they were, they were taught, these evildoers were teaching sinners that it was being saved by faith plus works. Same thing. You had to have this mush pause. If, you, if I don't see the works. Now, let me tell you what. Till I received salvation, I didn't see too many works. I could try to be good, but guess what? If I will change the internal, guess what? The external changes. But how many of you have done that? Maybe you've tried to live out salvation externally, and you're like, I just can't do it. I keep messing up. I don't know what's going on. You know, I just keep falling short. If you will change the internal, it will change the external. But also, you know, it's, it's not, you know, we got to realize that grace alone by Christ alone equals salvation, period. That's what he was talking about. He was saying that um, it's not faith plus works. It's faith alone in Jesus, and he was really communicating this really, really hard because the balance was just off. It was like the door to salvation was through the works of your hand. If you did it right, if you did everything according to the law, he let you in. If you fell short, well, then he's not going to let you in, right? It was this, it was this over-focus on the law. So these works are evil because realize this. Why does it matter, pastor, that we, that we focus on the spirit and not just works? Because if we focus on works, do you realize that focuses on the flesh doing the work? Because if I do good on a certain day, that's works of the flesh. Or if I do bad on a certain day, that's works of the flesh. But if my heart is completely transformed, if I do good or I do bad, it doesn't really matter that much. Now, what should change is I should start doing good rather than bad because the internal changes. But we don't want, we don't want to camp on continuing. We've we got to realize that when Jesus came, he came to abolish that of the law. He came to abolish that of the flesh. He took the legalistic system and he made a better system. Now, let me, let me tell you that it doesn't mean that we throw away everything because if we go down the Ten Commandments, there is still a lot of value in the Ten Commandments. Say, oh, well, well I can kill somebody. That's the law or it doesn't matter no more. No, it's still going to matter, right? But that is not the focus. The focus should be the cross. The focus should be Jesus. The way to heaven through, should be through Jesus and Jesus alone, okay? So a Christian's good works are a result of the flesh. 
not a basis for their salvation. That's what you gotta understand. A Christian's good works are a result of their faith, not the basis for salvation. Okay, you gotta get that. Some of you this morning say, oh man, I've just been playing church. I've been just trying to act right. I was wondering why it's so hard. Man, you gotta change the inside. Once your heart changes, the action will change. So he says, the, the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. Now, this is funny because Paul uses the word mutilators as a pun for the word circumcision because they were, they were real big on you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. That was, like, that was, that was something that, that was implemented in the Old Testament and it stuck. It said, if you are not, then you're not a Christian. They were, they, were, they were focusing on something that had to be done in the flesh that equaled that of the Spirit. Right, they kept focusing on that. So circumcision was essential to salvation. That's what they were, they were preaching. You have, if you're not circumcised, you're not saved. You're hearing the same idea, this, this, this critical, this super law, this heart, like, man, like, I guess. And then, so what do you do? You either just kind of follow suit or you stand like Paul and said, hey, no, this is not what God was, you know, this, this was a new grace. Don't you understand that, you know, and, and it, caused, it caused conflict, all right? So we have to realize that that was their focus. That was their, their, their attention. So Paul's per, uh, persuasion was to put no confidence in the flesh. That's what he says. He says, don't worry about the flesh. Don't focus on the flesh. And you know, we, he kind of comes across when I'm reading it kind of arrogant on this, but he's saying if anybody has the reason to boast. Now, I'm not gonna boast because on my flesh days, it ain't a good day. I got nothing to boast in except by the glory of God. Guess what? Paul was, the, I guess, the rare exception because even according to law, he begins to set up his resume of all of the things he said, if anybody should boast, I should be able to boast. So he said, but, but even in that, this is what he said. He said, it is necessary uh, according to the Jewish rule to, to dot every I and to cross every T, that was what was, but he was talking about it's not by works so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2, 9. But this was his persuasion, and he just, he, like I said, he mapped out his track record. So in verses five and six, he says he was, he was circumcised on the eighth day. So like if they were arguing there, he did that, check. Secondly, he was born into a pure Hebrew family. He wasn't crossbred or Hispanic, Mexican, Mexican, Hispanic, black, white, like there was no, it was, he was a purebred is what it was saying. And he was, so that was like, I guess it was rare. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that was like the rare exception, but it was, he was saying that I was born into a pure Hebrew family. And then he says, I was also born a direct descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. So that means directly from the tribe of Benjamin, he was on the right tree line. So all of these, he's just check, check. So he's going down the bragging rights of why he could actually, if according to the Jewish scholars, be justified by works. He keeps on going. He says, a Pharisee to the letter. So he did everything required by the law. And then he said, in regards to my zeal, he actually persecuted those in opposition to the law. Do you realize that? He was actually a persecutor originally of those who did not uphold the law to the letter. So he just wasn't passionate about it. He was passionate about making sure others did it also. So we have to see when you have been in one camp and then you realize that there is this grace to live in this other camp, what Paul decided, he says, listen, I've done it to the T. I've done everything. And for him to do that, he, he realized that under righteousness of, through, through Jesus alone was better. He wanted to, he wanted to take, take, a, take a shift from this focus to this focus. That's all they knew. That's all they could focus on. You know, I want to encourage you that uh, things that are scriptural, that should be the standard. But sometimes, how many of you know there is, is what's, what's called a, uh, when, when you have a personal conviction of something and it, it's more, it's stricter than the law. Now, I want you to be very, very careful about assuming that over anyone. To say, oh, well, this is what the scripture says, but here's my take. And it's more strict than what the law demands. Because let me challenge you here. To some degree, that's what the Jews were doing. They were saying, hold the law. Well, let's say I want to set a standard higher than the law. Well, that's great for you. But I want to tell you also that there was grace applied so that I will no longer have to live under the law, but I live under a covenant of grace. Now, we got to be careful because it's a slippery slope. That doesn't mean like, oh, under grace, I can do whatever I want. That's not justifying sin. It's just it, it made it to where I wasn't going to be held guilty for every little oopsie 
Because the blood covered it. It wasn't based on works so that anyone could boast. Salvation was found in Jesus alone, okay? So that, that's, that's the segue that he's getting to. He says, look at my life. You know, righteous, righteous wise, Paul was blameless under the law. Like if you said, what can we accuse this man of? There was nothing you could find. That's, that's discipline. That's being strict. That's always being, you know, high character, high morals for the law. So as we see him map out what, what, his, what his, his track record was, he also had a response, and that's in verse seven through 10. He says, whatever gain he had. Now, let me tell you what. He had a high office before he became a Christian. He had a position that many would have probably loved to have. But he says, I have everything I have gained. I now count it loss for the sake of following Christ. He surrendered his position because of his passion. How many of you know his passion changed? It wasn't this legalistic, carnalistic type of living. It was a transformed heart that desired to please God. And he realized that, man, I can do nothing to earn salvation. And if anything, he even identified himself as what? The chief of sinners. A guy that was perfect in moral standard of what people would hold the mark, that he still fell short of the glory of God and was in need of a savior. Man. I don't know about your prideful, arrogant days of where you think you're doing good and you still look pretty rough, right? But his response was, I count it all loss for the sake of knowing Christ. It was worth it to follow Christ is what he said. Surrendering his social standard or status, he gave up all for Christ, whom he found way more valuable. Paul understood that the worth of knowing Christ as Lord, he knew what that worth was. So it says that he received the saving power of Christ and he also surrendered to him as Lord. So let me look at that. So he knew that the, the, the work of Christ would provide a secured salvation. But how many of you know many people do that? They place their, their, their trust in Jesus for salvation, but they stop there. It says he also surrendered to him as Lord. Now, that's the difference because here he called him master. His life was no longer his own. He just didn't say, okay, cool, I got my, I got my salvation fire insurance so I don't have to go to hell, and then I just stop. He knew at the moment that he was gonna be a follower of Christ that his life was not his own, and he would follow Jesus in whatever he led him to, even to the point of death. Even when he was in prison, writing this letter, counting it all joy for the sake of suffering for Christ. This ain't the letter I probably would've wrote I'd have been like, Trey, bring me a guitar. Man, woe is me. I, I, I don't know if I would have responded in this like, oh, I'm so excited. I'd have had some doom and gloom days like, Lord Jesus, this isn't what you promised. And he actually says this. Actually, I did say you would suffer, right? So we see that in all of these things, he counted it all joy. But he, he, he really surrendered to the power of Christ, but he also allowed God to be Lord, and he saw him as master. True suffering and loss of all things is the new life he, he, he adopted. It says he counted all as loss, as rubbish. So this is all garbage in comparison. How, how many of us find ourselves digging in the trash of all the things in our past because we think there's value in them? Don't answer that. We do it, we're idiots for doing it, but we, do, we, go, we go back because we forget that all of that is rubbish, that when we leave the old life and we find the new life in Christ, there is nothing left for us there. And if we feel like that and we're, we're being compromised and we feel like we need to go back, it's because we have not fully and tasted seen the fullness of God. If we're looking for any type of confidence or um, anything that's gonna comfort us, it's because we're not allowing God to fill those voids. There should be no void left in our life once we find Jesus. Well, you know, I just gotta do this, Pastor, to kind of take the edge off. All right. Can Jesus do that? Well, you don't understand. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, those bad habits, they're just hard to lick, Pastor. I said, oh, so, what, but can Jesus kind of, you know, you're caught in between this, right? Jesus, you know, Jesus wanted to deal with all of that to leave the trash in the trash and remove it far from your life. That was his plan, he says, but he said, I count it as rubbish. How many of you sometimes wanna keep your status and your comfort along with following Jesus? Lord, I wanna make sure we got an agreement, Lord. 
If I'm going to follow you, here's the rules, right? And we'll start quoting, Lord, I want to be blessed. I want to be highly favored. In the city, in the field, wherever I go, Lord, like I want all, I want, I want. He didn't always promise that. Now, are there moments of that? Probably. Are there promises of that? Absolutely. But whatever the road may lead, I'm in. Right? But we sometimes have to remove our status or our comfort to follow Jesus. Most of us get caught in between. We want Christianity, but we want the comfort. We want Christianity, but we don't want to pay the cost. It's like a halfway altar call, right? Here I am, Lord, but just this far. Anytime anybody asks, how, how, how much does God demand? What does God expect? Everything. Jesus didn't hold anything back, and we shouldn't either. Tell you what, Paul had it right, though, because while he was in prison, he was still counting it all joy. So it really comes down to what perspective. All right. So Paul's life really looked good enough. He obeyed the law. He modeled it. But he chose to trade his own righteousness according to human standards for the one and only true righteousness found through Jesus. The key to his righteousness, though, was not dependent on track record, but faith alone in Jesus. And, and, and that was his focus. He says, listen, this, this is the way you do it. How many of you have ever done something the hard way or the easy way, right? You've done one or the other. Have you ever tried to dig a hole? But if somebody shows up with a big old auger tiller that just will do it for you, you ever done that? Man, when I see that, it's like, why the heck we build these post hole diggers when you got a tracker? It's kind, of, it's kind of like that sometimes. We can do it the hard way and get the job done. Or we can do it God's way and it's sometimes the more efficient, direct way and still get the job done. Tell you what, you got to kind of get in the, in the cab with Jesus and let him do the hard work. You got to quit trying to be good enough. You got to quit trying to not mess up. It's just saying, Lord, <laughs> here I am. Here I am. Take me. All right. So he said faith in verse 10. So to come to know Jesus, they came to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, because like him in his death, uh, Jesus died to save sinners. And do you realize that was Paul's heart too? He was ready to die for sinners. There was no like, hey, oh, well, Duck, tail, and run when it got hard. He was willing to lay his life on the line for the sake of others knowing Jesus. Jesus was the same way, unto death. He said, whatever the cost. You know, each of them had different crosses to carry. They looked different, but yet nonetheless, what did they do? They both carried the cross of suffering, of sacrifice. Then he says, attaining the resurrection from the dead. So this was the resurrection that would happen at the end. He didn't want to disqualify himself from that resurrection that would come when Jesus comes back. All right. Ephesians 3, 12 through 21. So he, he, he adjusts the focus a little bit and he, and he starts talking here about straining towards the goal, focusing on, on a goal. So let's jump right into verse 12. It says, not that, and, and so listen to the, his humility in all of this. It's not like, oh, I've achieved it, I've got it, but he laid out his boastful arrogance in his sinful law way of doing it. But watch the focus when he talks about the grace of God. He starts out saying, not that I have already obtained this. But he's saying, this should be the goal. This should be the mark. This should be the aim in which we're going. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize to, of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in any, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Let us, let us, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their bellies, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul, out of the gate, he starts in humility. He says, not that I have attained it, not that I have figured it all out, but here's the direction, here's the goal, here's the line and the mark that is set before us. So he, he, said, he said, I push towards this goal. He did not make it even his own or his own focus. That was Jesus' role. He said, Jesus was doing this work. He's allowed me to be a part of it. So in verses 13 and 14, so how did he move forward? First, he made himself forget. He said, forgetting what is behind. Now, how many of you know what's behind us sometimes anchors us? And we can't build up any steam or momentum because we are bound by things of our past. How many of you messed up some stuff in your past? How many of you still carrying them with you? Right, you just can't cut the chain. You realize that's what Jesus did? He said, I don't want you carrying this stuff with you. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't like to run that much, but have you ever seen people run with the weights on their legs? Never had that problem, buddy. <laughs> I don't need extra weight for running. You know, but I, I think that's what it does. It weighs us down to where even something we feel we should be able to do, we can't do because we're just grabbed on by those things that weigh us down. So we have to forget. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't happen, but we choose not to remember them. I'll tell you what, one of the biggest things the devil will do is remind you of who you used to be and tell you that's who you are now. You realize that? That's who you used to be. That's who you still are. And then I just say, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Because if only by the blood, it changes everything. The blood is really what breaks that bondage and breaks that chain that's been. So, so when I look at it, I do see in that rearview mirror some of the bad, poor choices. But then I remember the blood. And the blood is what changes the rear perspective to the forward perspective. It allows me to say, oh, I made some bad mistakes. Now, let me tell you what. If you have not learned from your past mistakes, you might still need to look at the back just for another moment. Because some of you are still doing the exact same things you've been doing forever and you don't realize why things aren't changing. Because you're still focusing on the same thing. Unless you change something, it will never change. If you continue to do the exact same thing over and over exactly the same way and get the same result, you know what that's the definition of? Insanity. AKA being an idiot. That's the way I like to look at it. I'm gonna do the same thing, set myself in the same situation, end up in the same thing. Right? We have, to, we have to look forward. We have to forget. So then it's just not forgetting, but is a straining forward. Now, when I see that word strain, that's just not like a moving forward. That is working with as hard as I can to get away from those things. Straining, working, pushing, pursuing, um, you know, re really, really working hard to get to move forward. You know, I think that it is straining towards a goal, straining towards the goal line. I mentioned that a little bit, uh, you know, in a previous message. We should all be pursuing the same goal line. We should be, pers we should be playing the game to score and win, right? So I'm be like, well, I'm just running around aimlessly. No, I want to be straining forward. I want to be moving forward. And then it says, press on towards the goal. So what does this mean? Keep your eyes on the prize, the finish line. Same thing, when I'm running thinking, how much further I gotta go? Can I make it or am I gonna die, right? I, that's, that's, that's my thoughts. It's like, but if I see the line, and guess what, it gets closer and closer. Now, I might not be moving fast, but I tell you what, the closer I get, the more excited I get because I know that just a few more strides, just a little bit longer. How many of you have ever ran on a treadmill? It's like torture, man. You're running, not going anywhere, and you're just looking... You never knew a minute could last so long. It's like, I, you know, but that's what, it's straining forward. But guess what? The more we run for Christ, the closer we get to the finish line. You're not running in a on a treadmill pace to where you're not getting anywhere. When we run for Christ, we're actually getting somewhere, right? 
We see, we see track record. We see, man, look how far I've got. Look how, look how far I've moved. You know, when we look at the beginning of our life in, in Christ and we look at where we are now, there should be a progression of steps moving us closer towards the prize. Right? It shouldn't just be like, man, there's my starting line. You know, instead of running, some of us, you're like, on your mark, you set, go. And some of y'all just stood up. I said, man, what are y'all complaining? This race is easy. You didn't run. You're not running. You're not pursuing anything. You're just passively standing by. But let me tell you what, if you'll get a little bit of distance between the starting line and the finish line, you know, it makes it real hard for the devil to tell you to go back. Because you remember how far you have come. It's a word for somebody this morning. If you will begin to put miles between the start and the end, you will realize it's not worth going back. You stay right here on the line, I'm going to go sit right back down. But if you will hit that mark and you will run, you will strain towards, you will forget what's behind, and you will put your eyes focused on the goal, we will run a race that is focused on Christ. And what does it say? Focus on his upward calling of God. Now, how many of you know that we try to figure out in life, what do I want to be? I want to be a scientist or I want to be an astronaut. Football player, those things were always cool. I mean, now everybody's going to the, to the moon. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years, but, you know, it's achievable. Now we're like, you ain't going to be an astronaut, brother. You might be the way they're doing things. But I think there are, there are things that we focus on that are earthly callings. But let me tell you what, everyone has a spiritual calling. And we have to look up to see it. We can't look on the ground level. We can't look on just, you know, extracurriculars or education. We have to look in the spiritual and uh, we have to keep our eyes on our heavenly calling. Now, if you don't know what that is, you need to ask God to reveal that to you. If, if, you're, if you're unclear of that, you need to kind of get the sleep out of your eyes and look with clarity and say, Lord, help me see what you've called me to do, what you've called me to be. One of the most miserable things you will ever do is try to be something that God has never called you to be. You will be the most satisfied if you figure out what he has called you to be and called you to do and you do it. Right? You have to realize that. Our heavenly calling, our upward calling, and no, notice it says, in Christ Jesus. Um, everybody that's called has, has, a, has, a, has a modified calling. You know, the disciples went from being fishers to fisher of what? Men. You know, when we become a Christian, we should have a passion that grows for loving God and loving people. You hate God and you hate people, are you even saved? Now, that doesn't mean you get along with every person that walks along your paths, but there should be a desire of, for loving God and loving people. He goes on to say, if you are mature, think this way. So he's telling you, if you want to be mature, think this way. You're like, well, I don't like to think that way. Well, then you don't want to be mature, right? He's giving you the roadmap. He says, if, 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 think about this way. It says, if you have a different way of thinking than God, he'll reveal your motives. He'll show you what you should focus on. He'll show you what you should do. It says, hold true to what you have already attained. Do you realize you can't hold on to anything you don't have already? But you got something in your hand, you got something to hold to, man, hold to, fast to that thing as much as you can. Some of us say, I wish I had more, but we don't see what's already there, okay? Paul wanted us to grip down and to hold on to Jesus. And then he goes in verse 17, he says, imitate me, model me. Keep your eyes on those who keep the example you have in us. So he says, model and spend time with those that you wanna be like, Pay attention to what they're doing. Pay attention to their habits. If you have someone you want to be like, ask them, say, what's your secret? What do you do to get the results you're getting? How do you, how do you lead your family well? How do you have a life of prayer like that? Like, I haven't figured out. It, imitate, pay attention to. Spend time and pay attention to those you want to be like. Now, this works twofold. Some of you are hanging around people that you don't want to be like and you don't like the character in their life and you're like, I don't understand why some of that stuff's rubbing off on me. You know, I had, a, I had a teacher tell me one time, he said, never submit yourself under a leader that you don't want to be like. Ooh, I was like, what if I'm called to be a leader and now I feel like I'm a leader in a, in, a, in a very critical, influential spot and it scares the living daylights out of me because I know my life is modeling something. 
But my heart is saying, Lord, help me be modeling a life that others want to follow and not head for the hills over. Right? So he always said, he said, submit yourself under men that you want to be like. And stay far away from those that you don't. We have to realize that, that, that influence, right? That being like. You know, it was a challenge because even at that time, uh, there was things that, that I saw in that leader that I didn't like. Right? So what do you do there, Pastor? I learned to chew the meat and spit out the bones. And then God taught me something about, I'm not asking for perfection, but I am asking for a pattern of good quality characteristics. Because if you look at anybody's life close enough, there's flaws. It don't matter who it is. There's flaws. So you, you, can, you can remove yourself from being under a great leader because you find one flaw and you think it's enough to remove yourself from it. You will rob yourself of all the other blessings. All right? Had to throw that in there in case anybody's following me. Just playing. <laughs> no, but I did that because I feel like sometimes I am a critical leader. Because I had a set of high standards, like, well, what about this and this? this and, you know, what can you learn from that, Noe? And God has always shown me things in the great things, in the rough things, in the flawed things. It doesn't matter to me. God can show me in all of those things how to grow. So it says, keep your eyes focused. Uh, as an example, imitate me. You will imitate those you watch. You know, I remember the first time we went to Africa and uh, all they had, they were, so they, I, guess, I guess it was YouTube or internet, but they would watch MTV. So they thought America was like MTV. <laughs> Said, hey, y'all got, and, and, and the funny thing is, guess what? They're dressing like MTV. Well, then the Americans show up, we don't look like MTV. They're like, y'all aren't wearing these chains, and this was the back ba baggy pants, like, like, like this is the, what in the world? And it's like, no, it's, that's TV. Guess what? They were being influenced by their focus. What they thought was true. The glamour, the lights, the publicity, all of these things. And it was a misconception of the real thing. So be careful also when you imitate someone that you are not taking the bait to something fake. Because let me tell you what, somebody can fake it for a long time and it looks externally good when internally they are far from the truth. Huh. So, Pastor, let's keep moving. All right. It says, some of you, let, let's just focus on, it says, some of you walk as enemies of the cross, those who oppose Christ and his work on the cross. So, I, I really think perhaps these were some of the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh that Paul was previously talking about. But it says that those oppose the work of Christ on the cross. And it, here's, the, here's the response in verse 19. This is their end. Destruction, which means what? heading to eternal punishment. They're focused on the flesh. They're boasting on their self-efforts. And they're focused on earthly practices. And what does that mean? That is the ceremonies, the feast, the sacrifice, all these kinds of physical observances. Earthly things, not heavenly things. Now, if we're not careful, we will get focusing on all of these things that are they important to God's heart? Yes, but they cannot replace God's heart. You got that? Like, you know, I mean, I think that there's, there's things that, you know, with, with worship are going to be practiced, right? I mean, you're not just going to throw one out and say, well, I'm going to love God, but I'm not going to do anything, right? I think that our heart will respond in things that the scripture encourages us to do. But it says their end is destruction, all right? But it's, and, and, it, and it focuses, I, I love, I'm glad it ends on a good note, but it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and that's what we have to focus on, that we are awaiting a coming Savior who will judge the deeds of the righteous and the wicked according to what we've done and what we have said here on earth. They say, he gonna, he's going to judge me for what I say? Ooh. I don't like that scripture, Noe, because I don't always say what I mean. Well, change your heart and you will change what you, what you mean. You know, scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when something just slips out, could be influenced, but I always say, Lord, is that a heart issue? Is that something internal that, that only you can change? Okay? But we're all waiting a coming Savior. And it says, he will transform our lowly earthly bodies to be like his glorious body. So what is he saying here? It's, you know, our bodies will be like Christ following his resurrection. Our bodies will be redesigned and adapted for heaven. Wish that happened right now, Jesus. But 
That's what it says. At the end, we, our bodies will be renewed. You know, and there's a lot of dispute, like what will it be like? What will it look like? Well, I know that Jesus had scars in his hands that he was able to show the disciples. They weren't like, is this Jesus? No, they knew it was Jesus. There was some representation of who he was. It wasn't like, we don't know this guy. This is like 22-year-old Jesus. Like, you know, there was, some, there was enough representation. They knew who he was. It's gonna be a glorious day. And it says, this happens to the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So the authority and the power had been given from the Father to Jesus. So we see that, we see that in this passage. So let me give you the four or the six final principles that we have from this whole chapter. Number one is remember to rejoice in the Lord. I don't care what you're going through. I might not even know what you're going through, but I know God's commission for you today is to rejoice in the Lord. You say, Pastor, I'm rejoicing, but I'm crying. It's okay, baby, as long as you're rejoicing. Because it doesn't matter. God will be there with you. And I think if we would be mindful of that, you never go through anything alone as a Christian. Jesus is always there. Always. Number two, it says, look out for those who preach any other way to attain salvation apart from Jesus. Jesus is the only way to attain salvation. So you want to know where this church stands? It better be through Jesus. There ain't no other way. Well, pastor, what if I get baptized? That don't save you. That's just water. Symbolizes. What if I come up there and you pray for me and you anoint me with oil? Symbolism of stuff, yet again. Going through works, going through actions, there's only one door. There's only one gate, and that's Jesus. Ain't no other way. Well, what about, if, that, if that's your response, you got to pray a little bit more on that one. Only Jesus. Knowing Christ Jesus, this is number three, knowing that Christ Jesus is worth the loss of everything. Do we have, we have that kind of revelation in our lives? It's worth everything. Losing everything. No comparison. I thank God that God allows us some earthly pleasure blessings in our life. I love it. I thank God for air conditioning. Thank God for heat when it's freezing. Like, you know, like, I love the blessings of, of God, but would I forsake all of those for the sake of following Christ? Hope my response is yes, but I can't do without AC, Pastor. You don't understand. Come on. Mess with that flesh just a little bit, right? It's worth it, knowing that Christ Jesus is worth the loss of everything. Pressing on towards the goal of your upward calling. So that means forgetting, pressing forward, but then getting your eyes up. Don't focus on the past. You know, those who, those who wreck often are looking down or looking behind them. If you keep your eyes fixed on front of you, that don't mean you can't crash, but it greatly reduces the likelihood of you crashing. Most people don't crash and say, oh, I had my eyes right on the road. Really? <laughs> Took your eyes off. So press on towards the goal of your upward calling. Number five, imitate and walk like those who truly model Jesus. And that's what I hope you're looking for in characteristics of people who look like Jesus. I'm not saying perfection, but who loves the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates and, you know, is that is a good advocate for you to model. I hope there's some in our generation that rise up and people that we say, man, this is who I'm gonna imitate. This is who I'm gonna follow. If we're just looking left and right and say, we don't see nobody to follow, dear God, help us to model a life that is worthy of following. And number six, save this one the best for last, realizing that we are all citizens of heaven. You know, uh, I think it's so cool to realize that I can't revoke that. I can't really mess that up if I stay yielded to Father God. And as I continue to pursue him. Now, man, I, I know I maybe could divide some, some, some beliefs in here. Once saved, always saved. God can never pluck you out of his hand. That's right. You know, you, you can't if you're staying seated there. But guess what? I can choose to walk away. And to me, that's, that scares me because people say, oh, I can walk away as far as I want and Jesus still loves me. He still loves me, but realize you changed the terms. If I can accept, I can reject. Now, 
I'm rattling your theology. I'm sorry. But I tell you what, God wants relationship. He doesn't want obligation. To where just cut and dry. Oh, you're going you're gonna to serve me now. You gave your life to me. Come on. But every single day of my life, I have to be mindful of the privilege it is to be called a citizen of heaven. To be called a son of the king. That God will give me every single grace needed to walk out everything according to the law. And he'll give me wisdom in all things. You guys stand up with us. You imagine standing in heaven in line, waiting to get in. And you know you're in the the right line already. And the closer and closer you get, the more exciting it gets. Ever been in that long, long line, the new ride at Disney? Well, heaven's going to be a lot better than that. But that's the closest example. Well, you will wait and you will wait. But what I want to challenge you with this morning, the only thing that matters, are you in the right line? With your eyes fixed on your heavenly calling, pursuing the race and the course set before you, which is going to push you and catapult you in the direction of your heavenly calling? Or are you still just at the starting line? As a pastor, I desire to encourage you to be all that God has called you to be. If that, if that gun went off and you just stood straight up, start moving. Get some... Get some Distance between the start of your walk with Jesus and the heavenly reward. You know, when you cross that halfway point, it's not worth going back. You've come too far. You ever said that? Too far to go back for that personnel, baby. We're already almost to church. You need it? No, we try, we don't, we don't, we try not to go back. It's the same way with following Jesus with a sold-out abandonment. Lord, I've been too far to go back now. Now, some of you have to realize that when you chose to follow Jesus, you were going to completely sell out to everything of the world and sell out to God fully. It was going to cost you your life. It was going to cost you suffering. It was going to require something of you And you got to determine, are you still in? It says, pity the man that doesn't count the cost before first building the building. And maybe somebody didn't really communicate the full gospel to you. They just just guaranteed unicorns and ice cream cones. It's going to be just a fairy tale goodness. But following Jesus isn't always easy. But man, it is always worth it. I've never been forsaken by Father God. Have I been challenged? Have I grown? Have I been in hard times? Absolutely. But he has always been faithful in every season of my life. If there was any variable that messed it up, guess what? It was this guy. God didn't fall short of what he promised to do and will continually promise to do as we move forward. Amen? So count it all joy. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're on a high or you're on a low. But wherever you're at, count it all joy to be a follower of Christ with your citizenship being heaven and get your eyes focused on the goal and the prize. Amen? I'm gonna pray for you. This morning, if you say, Pastor, this is great. I'm not on the race. I'm not in the right line. I'm really not doing a good job following Jesus. And this morning, you wanna make a recommitment to follow God with all urgency. That today is the day, you know, I call it, I call it those spiritual do-overs. Or you either mess it up so much or you've walked so far, you know, you've just gotten so distracted. All you got to do is turn around and start moving in the right direction. And that's all that God really demands of you. It's like the old Nintendo games, man, where you hit that reset button and it just starts back over. That worked. That was really bad when you were doing good, but it was great when you were doing bad. You get a do over. So today God is saying, hey, come back. Today is a new day. My grace is sufficient. Just return to your rightful place as a son and daughter of the king. So if that's you, as I'm praying, you can go ahead and come up. I'm gonna pray over you and release you guys. And we're just gonna believe that God would just continue to just take us on this journey of life of knowing him more, amen?
Lord, I thank you for each one here this morning. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you, today, Lord, I ask that today would be the day of salvation. Father, every single one of our lives started with the day that you chose us and then we responded by choosing you. So Father, I pray that if we've had it backwards and we've been trying to earn salvation by what we do, we would realize the only way is through Jesus. So Father, this morning, we just surrender our lives afresh and renewed. We choose to follow you all the days of our life. Father, we choose to count it all joy. Father, I'll shout it from the hilltop. Father, but I'll, I'll, I'll even shout it from the valley. Lord, because you're with us in both. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the lives that you're changing. And Father, I thank you that as I follow you longer and longer, that I can rest assured that the best is yet to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, I bless each one under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray for a courageous spirit. Father, I pray for just a renewed strength over them, Lord. Father, that they would run the race that you've called them to and not grow weary. Lord, I thank you for the hope we have in you. And Father, we count it a privilege to be called sons and daughters in your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.